It's Tuesday, May 10th, 2016, and you're listening to episode 399 of Hear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 48 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Brodor. My name's Chad. And my name is still Pat. Oh, you're pulling the Wayne for a second. Yeah. Well, he's not here tonight. It was my fault. It was my so, fault, totally. channeling him in, you know, in good feelings and yes. spirit. Yep. We had good momentum on that first take, oh, too. Did. Yeah, we did. And, and then, I screwed it all yeah. up. It was Butt 60 munch. seconds. We're fine. <laughs> <laughs> Best in 60 seconds gold. we've had. So, and I usually only need 30 seconds. All right. Two episodes back, yeah. we, we had a show on side games yes. to keep your main campaign alive by just keeping things fresh on everyone's mind. And we gave a bunch of advice based on thoughts we have, but also on practical experience we'd had, mm-hmm. because we have done this now on several occasions. Yes. But all that advice we gave, Chad, you say at your past week's game, so your Sunday game, you rewrote Fear the Boot 9000 compliance. So we may be looking at a 9001 standard. (laughs) Yes. But before we can get to deciding that, Mm -hmm. before we can bring that before the full board (laughs) with a motion, we need to follow Robert's rules of order here. Mm -hmm. So can you explain to me how did you deviate from that advice and how did it work out? Well, so really how this all started was I lost my copy of Inspectors. I lost the PDF. I lost my physical copy of the book. Couldn't find it anywhere. Completely lost. Went on RPG, and I was like, $10? No way am I paying that for a game that I love and enjoy playing. So, um, <laughs> And I wonder why people can't make money at this. My, yeah. my rotary phone still works. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so... We we were playing Blades in the Dark, and when we had done, uh, 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 <laughs> <it's like> <laughs> <laughs> you should have called me. I would have I would have given you my copy. I would have spent ten dollars to get a new copy and given you mine. You're all heart. You're all heart. But I don't think my cell phone's compatible with your rotary. Phone. Yeah, probably not. So rotary phone. So okay, the setup is we play Blades in the Dark, and Wayne, and and actually that's why we promised that we would be doing a one-hour game today. Skies of Glass, right. Brodor's playing, Wayne is sitting where Pat's sitting, and we're kind of doing characters, talking about the concept. We had kind of pimped this a little bit, but Wayne is dealing with a family crisis right he's now. He's in Uranus. <laughs> he is. <laughs> but he's dealing with a family crisis right now. And so he couldn't make it to the show, and he couldn't make it to Sunday's game either. Right. And his lovely wife couldn't either because she's, like, really, really sick right now. So we decided that we wanted to play. So it's Pat and Beth and Dawn and myself, and we were going to play our Eels game. And if you haven't been keeping track... Go back two episodes. Go back two episodes. Yeah. It explains it all. I, I believe you're here. They're a child gang. Yeah. So you guys were going to go back and play your Eels, Eels game, game, which was your side game using yep. inspectors. And if you want the details on that, you can check that out. I believe it was episode 396. Yeah. Street urchins. Or 397, yeah. one of the two. 396, 397. Yeah. Eels are street urchins. I'm not going to get too into that because I actually need to tell a gaming story to set up what we're doing and why. Okay. So... I lost my copy of Inspectors, had no idea where it is, and I didn't have <laughs> Brodor's Pennsylvania 65000 <laughs> extension on his ancient rotary phone to call him up 
into an emergency delivery of inspectors. So I'm sitting here thinking, you know, I'm not paying this much money to rebuy this book. I already own. It's got to be somewhere, right? And so I was thinking, it's like, well, you know, Dresden really works with inspectors really well because it's an investigative game. It's kind of about busting ghosts. So it, it works really well because Dresden is a game about busting ghosts. Inspectors is a game about busting ghosts in, in a way. I mean, different, of course. Sure. But, but they have a similar theme to them. And Blades in the Dark is not that. It's a heist game, right? It's about stabbing people in back alleys and taking their stuff and and being a noble, dashing, swashbuckling. The way that you've described it always Mm -hmm. sounded to me like a Victorian Mm -hmm. London horror story, kind of a Jack the Ripper sort of story, except there is nothing outside of London. Right, Right. Imagine England is a really horrible place filled with demons and monsters right. and ghosts that will eat you. So once you hit the border of London, yeah. it's just hell on earth. Yes. Yes. That is absolutely what it is. So there's multiple gangs and such. So I was thinking about, because I couldn't find my copy of Inspectors, maybe I should do a different game. And I think in the sidebar, when I was looking at drive through RPG yeah. at Inspectors, on the side was Wilderness of Mirrors. And I was like, I played Wilderness of Mirrors once. I know what that is. That's a heist game. You're, you play spies, and it's modern day, but it's it's very, you know, low rules indie. I mean, the game is only 16 pages long. Right? Sure. And I'm like, you know, I could do the Inspector's Dresden thing with Blades in the Dark, Wilderness of Mirrors. And they fit together because they're a heist game. And look at that. Wilderness of Mirrors is on sale for $2. I am that cheap. And so I bought wilderness of mirrors because it was on sale and so i started thinking it's like okay well that that kind of lines up with what we're saying it it matches the same theme but what could i do with this because now now i'm thinking right now the wheels are starting to yeah that's always bad it's like what could i do different with this instead of having you know a parallel game running there were a lot of things that the strays did stray is the player's gang right that the strays did in several of the games where they met the objective and they had fun and it was a really good full game and it was really cool and stuff. But because the game is so dangerous, my players get very objective oriented. They get very focused on the objective, even though there's a lot of side stuff going on. And I usually have a lot of things happening that they can explore if they choose, but it's not really going to be terrible if they don't. They took over a neighborhood called Hard Knot. And Hard Knot, they had... 15 different objectives that was all intertwined. Like they had to do this one objective before they could do this objective. But if they did this other objective, it actually counted towards two of the other objectives and everything was like linked. It was this big spider web of objectives that I was tracking that I have for them. And they didn't have to do all of them, but when they reached a critical mass of achieving objectives, the neighborhood was ostensibly theirs they just had to tell the gang who owned it that. And by tell them, I mean punch them in the face till their teeth came out. Sure. So, and and they, they achieved that. But there were several, like, objectives that had a lot of story behind it that they didn't do. Uh, one of the things they didn't do was a thing called the Moore House. It was a haunted house, essentially. They didn't do it because, honestly, it was too dangerous. They had this other stuff to do, and ghosts and sh- are very, very, very dangerous in this this universe. And they're like, you know, we could do these three other things and not be possessed by the spirits of the damned. Mm-hmm. So, and they're like, you know, perfectly acceptable. 
But the one that really got me thinking was that the leader of the Eels, which is a kid gang, uh, actually in John Harper's book, Blaze in the Dark, it's not a kid's gang. We made it a kid's gang. Street urchins. So screw you, John Harper. Yes, yeah, so screw John Harper. Uh, you know, like the Baker Street Irregulars. They, sure. That sort of thing. And the leader, his name is Larry Larry. And he's a 12-year-old, top-hat-wearing, pipe-smoking gutter snipe. You know what my favorite part about Larry Larry is now? What? I, I, I love Larry Larry. I always yeah. have. But now my favorite part about him is that Don f- hates him. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and just in, in the look... And the look of just utter sadness on your face with a smile when yeah. she said it this last Sunday, just I breathed that in deeply and, and yeah. loved Pat, it. I want you to welcome you to the club. Because <laughs> I don't know if you remember, but many episodes back, I said that I'm like a codependent Incredible Hulk and that your rage makes me strong. Uh-huh. And now you have finally joined the club of codependent Incredible Hulks, where Dawn's rage makes you strong. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, Larry, Larry, it's it's like a pimp name slip back. You say the whole yes. thing? Yes. Okay. Oh, yeah. His name is Larry, Larry. Let us say the yeah. pimp's You prayer. don't call him Larry, because Larry's some other guy. Yeah. Right. He's, he's Larry, Larry. He's Larry, Larry. Okay. So, all right. So, so how does this fit into... So, the story was the leader of Hard Knot, that's the neighborhood that they were trying to take over, the sort of capo, the lieutenant gang member of the Ironborns, the gang that they were fighting. His name is James Waite. He's a nihilistic Jeff Bridges, if you remember. Okay. One of the objectives was that Larry Larry wanted him killed, and he never said why. They even asked him, and Larry Larry kind of mumbled something, and which it was actually me not knowing. And so I, I, I figured not, I would... That's nothing new. Yeah, I figured I would make it up when they asked, and I just completely blanked out. And so I, I just had Larry, he just didn't want to talk about it. So, but I was always thinking, they, they never chased that down, probably because they knew I didn't know. I was always curious about it. Like, this 12-year-old kid, his gang had been... The, the Ironborns had run the eels out of their territory, whereas the eels work with the other gang. They're a farm league. For the other gangs. Right. So when you age out of the eels, you age into one of the real street gangs. And the eels do all the stuff that the gangs kind of need them for. You know, run packages and deliver messages and that sort of thing. They have their finger on the pulse of what's really going on because everybody ignores the street urchin stuff. And then they're pickpockets. The gangs don't run major pickpocketing operations. Eels do all that. The other gangs run... You know, prostitution and protection and rackets, all that sort of stuff. But I was all, I've always thought, you know, why did Larry Larry hate James Waith so much that this 12 year old kid wanted this adult murdered, like with relish, right? And so that got me thinking of, well, what if we explored that in the Eels game? Well, how would we explore that? Well, what we would do is we would go back in time. We would go one year back in time before the strays existed, before these guys' characters even came into town and met each other and formed the strays. When the Ironborns had first taken over Hard Knot and, and, and absorbed okay, the trigger. So there's a, there's a point right there where yeah. you diverged a bit from the advice we gave, which is to keep the events somehow related. Yeah. To have the events of the main game at least reflected in the background of the side game so as to keep people in that same mindset. Now, you didn't stray from that completely because no. it's still the same area and you're still dealing with yep. related events. Mm-hmm. But, but you did go away from the immediate yep. continuity to a different point in time. This will 
define continuity in the main game. Because what I want to do with the Eels game is there are, like I said, there were several things that the group has done on different scores, they're called. They took down scores where they didn't fully explore some of the story aspects of it. And there are questions that I have of, well, why is this like this? Why did these characters do this? Why did this story pan out this way? And I'm going to have my players as eels not explore that, but define it. Are you worried about leaving the players that aren't there a little bit in the dark? Because, I mean, you may set out to say, well, what they're going to find is just side information. It'd be no different reading the books you pick up in Elder Scrolls or Witcher. It's cool information, but you really don't need it to understand the main plot. Right. But role-playing games aren't scripted. And so what happens if they go and check out one of these things Mm -hmm. that should be, in theory, Mm -hmm. tangential to the main plot, but somehow it does become a major plot point. A whole new faction gets introduced. A whole new chain of events gets set in motion. And suddenly Wayne and Sarah, who weren't there for the side Mm -hmm. game, now have a seriously diminished understanding Mm -hmm. of the primary campaign. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I can answer that. I I don't think that will, because one thing that we always do, and I'm sure a lot of groups will do, is we always start a session with a recap. Mm-hmm. and even in this one, it may not be, oh, well, the next week we're not going to play the Eels, we're going to play the main, but eventually we'll play the Eels again, and what we'll do is we'll mm-hmm. say, all right, so who remembers what we did a month yeah. or two ago and we'll, what we would talk over, and it might be different people, it may not be, but I, I still think we'll talk about it anyway. Part of that is on me to run a very fun, memorable, and exciting side game. Because if I can achieve that, these guys will get excited about it and they won't shut up about it. And then that way, the information will be transferred or promulgated. It could also put a little bit of a limit on you in that, while if they talk mm-hmm. about it, that information, of course, will get spread outward. Yeah. It's If they're thinking about how it ties back to the main game, then obviously that's keeping them mm-hmm. on topic and interested but at the same time, it does sort of put up a hedge wall where you may feel out you can go this far and no farther. Because to go farther would be to detract something from the primary mm-hmm. campaign or to take something significant away from the people that aren't present. Oh, no. So far, this is generating content for me. It is absolutely generating content. They have created, they, they have created three characters, not the characters they're playing. Right. They have created and defined and helped me flesh out three main characters, not main characters, but part of the fabric of life that is going to be in the main game. Their boss, not Larry Larry, but their boss in Hard Knot in the past is a girl named Chris Catseye. And I, you talk about looks on faces when I described Chris Catseye, the first <laughs> reveal. I was looking at Dawn when I was talking about her, and Dawn was like, whoa. And then I looked over at Pat, and Pat had this uh, sort of look on his face. She is a 11 or 12-year-old girl. She does not know when her birthday was. Uh, she, she has no idea how old she is. She was in the drunk tank of the local police station. They're, they're called Blue Coats. She was in there because she was drunk. And their job as kids was to break her out. 
And they call her Chris Cat's Eye because she's this sort of gangly girl. You know how when like 11, 12 year old girls, they, they start growing. And I don't mean like hips and lips and boobs, but they start growing. Their trunk starts growing. Their legs get really long yeah. and they're really sort of gawky and awkward lanky lanky yeah they're really and she was this sort of lanky girl who was going through that and she had the stringy black hair no shoes and her feet were dirty street urchin and she's leaning against the wall obviously like drunk or hung over and then she turns around and looks at dawn who had who had picked the lock and opened the door and was about to get her out and i describe her and she's missing one eye and she has a cat's eye marble stuck in the socket <laughs> and that's why they call her chris cat's eye yeah. <laughs> and Pat yeah. was like, ah. oh. <laughs> but I really enjoyed the character too. I mean, they define that she had lost her entire gang in the thing. That's actually another thing I should explain here in a minute. Like what I mean by they define yeah. this. Yeah. It's the system. So wilderness of mirrors is a lazy GM game mm. to the extreme. <laughs> I love it. So, Pat, tell me, how did you guys define this? It's exactly what it was. Yeah. So, but all what he's saying, yeah, the, just the the point of the system is what you do before you start the thing. And this way, it's a lot. It is similar to inspectors. Yeah. Before you start your mission, before you actually start gameplay, you describe all the crap that you're going to be doing. You basically you describe the heist. You you plan the heist. You plan the heist, yeah. and as you're planning the heist, uh, you. You describe out things, not all that are to your advantage. You you describe the the pluses and the minuses, you know the pros and the cons, and the reason you want to have those cons in there and the challenges is because you get action dice, it, like in, uh, yeah, in, inspectors. in inspectors. But then that's your you get a dice pool, but you only get that by describing events. Yeah. That are that are contrary. So, like for an example, mm -hmm. we had to break her out of a jail. So, one of mine that was the mission. I just defined yeah. you have to yeah. break this girl out of a jail. Right. That's so, all we I have said. to describe it. So, one of mine was once we get in there. Well, I describe my character was the the one that's going to pick the lock, which didn't mm -hmm. at, in the end it of it. But enough. so I I said, well, okay. So the I get you know we when I get in there, I'm going to find that the lock is it's an easy lock to pick because it's just they're all standard yeah. all gel getting, sales are standard he's not getting any action dice for saying it's an easy lock right to pick. i don't it's total vantage i'm not giving him right any dice. But, th but then what and i think you were the one who came up with this yep. how about this you know but the lock's easy to pick but as soon as you as soon as you start to open the door the door is rusted and it squeaks so it just yeah, squeaks just, <laughs> Shrill, shrill, alert so that right. exactly. Yeah. So if you're trying to go for a, a you know, covert heist, you know, break her out without being noticed and sneak out. Yeah. The squeaking, that's it. So action yeah. dice Ooh, for that. So I got dice. a die for the die pool. Yep. And so that's the kind of thing. You can't just say it's going to be real easy. You know, oh, there's there's no, you know, it's like oh, mm -hmm. you know, the jail. She's in a cell, but there are no guards in there. Yeah. It's completely there's no unguarded. guards. And the jail is made of marshmallows. Yeah. And yeah. They just so you know, so we started back. doing so. Right. I mean, we had crazy like. I think it was, was it Beth? Yeah. I think Beth was the one who goes, yeah, well, there's a guard in there that's actually a fucking vampire. Yeah. And, I'm and like, we're like, holy, really? and that's, and I vampires picked... are different in this, in the Blades of they're the Dark. They're not like Dracula. They're not fang yeah, they're, they're worse, yeah. uh, honestly. So was one that there's was, two. It, that was two. If you give something that's super challenging, you can get two action dice for it. And so that gave us two. And that, that vampire actually, and what they're doing is they're creating the framework of the heist and then they're populating it with characters, too, because they're like, oh, well, there's this dangerous guy. Like, the, the, the people they populate it with don't necessarily have to be bad and evil, like this vampire ghost right. that was in there. Like, one of the ones that somebody came up with was brilliant. It's like, hey, you know what? There's also a blue coat. 
that is super friendly and really nice. And I'm like, I'm not giving you any dice for that. And they're like, no, no, you don't understand. He's really friendly. He wants to help you all the time. If he sees a little kid on the street, he's going to go over there and help him, and he's not going to leave the little kid yeah. alone. So these are little kids trying to break into this jail cell, and you got freaking Santa Claus in there mm-hmm. who isn't going to let you out of his sight, and he's going to kill you with kindness. He's yeah. just going to smother you with love, and, and you won't be able to do your job. So the other thing... So I gave him a dice for that. So just to explain, because it seems a little confusing maybe, but... What you're doing in, in doing this and getting your action dice, you're basically you're whiteboarding it beforehand. Yep. Like you're planning the heist. You're in your lair or whatever. You've got the chalkboard and you're drawing on there with the chalk, you know, the chalk. Hopefully not permanent marker, <laughs> you know. And and so that's why we're saying, okay, my plan is go, so tight. I do them in sharpie. Yeah. So yeah, we're gonna go to the jail cell. We're gonna sneak in the window. We're gonna open the lock. We're gonna put the oil on the bars because it's gonna be squeaky. <laughs> you, you know, this is the thing that's you're planning out. You're not actually doing it and getting the action dice. So you're you're, yeah. you're planning the heist in your lair, all that you get the action dice, and then you execute it, and and yeah. shit's all different when you do because yeah. that's just the way. No I plan ever. But so that's what he means by we're defining all this stuff because we literally did. Mm-hmm. The only thing that Chad defined it was in the very first part. He said you're going to break her out of jail. Now, depending on how mm-hmm. you roll things later, yeah, he will have some definition into it. Like if you don't roll high enough on with your action yeah. dice, he will have input into it. But largely, it's 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 narrative, and it's supposed to be. Narrative by the players, yeah, which again it, plays into the lazy GM part. Yeah, exactly, and that's that's the mechanic, right? So it's like you say, we'll do the part where Dawn gets in jail, right? And there's a drunk guy. They they made another good character that I gave him a, a die for. There was uh, Philip the town drunk, Floyd. I Floyd. It's Floyd. Floyd the drunk from Mayberry. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was what it was based on. It's like you know he's. He's in the drunk. He like goes in and puts himself in jail, right? You know, like <laughs> you know, Floyd does. Yeah, and so, it's not Floyd. Floyd was the barber. I just realized that it's. I mean, oh, it's a you just name. jerked it all up. I did. So, so I mean, and the reason why he's dangerous is because not because he's going to kill you, but because as soon as you walk into the jail cell, he's going to be like, "Hey, kid, it's a party," and he'll be like, "Ah," and then right. the guards will be like, "What?" and then come by. So what Dawn did? She got in there. She got Floyd was singing. She got him to sing louder and keep singing. So instead of saying, hey, little kid, he's like, ah, la, la, yeah, sing. And she goes in. The girl is there. Chris Katzai is there and turns around. And, and I always throw like a little flirt into almost all my games with Dawn through one of the NPCs. She, she turns around and she grabs Dawn by the shoulders and she's, she's swaying, right? Because she's drunk. And... She's like blasts all over her face. No. Just wait, just wait. <laughs> so she's like, "Hey, you know, you're pretty." You know, she Dawn's like, "We gotta get you out of here. We gotta go. Come on, can you walk?" She's like, "You're really pretty." And Dawn says, "I don't swing that way." And then she's like, "Swing, swing, like this." And so in Wilderness of Mirrors, there's a betrayal mechanic, like a. Total backstab. I'm going to... The example they give is, here, Dan, I'm going to betray you. I'm going to give you the bomb, and the bomb is set for 10 minutes. Write a note to the GM. It's really set for three minutes. Blows Dan up. I get dice for that. It's really stupid. I mean, I like trader mechanics. Both, both my games have that I wrote have trader mechanics. In it. That is just stupid. Well, John especially was, for a game that's not meant to be a one-shot. Right. For a yes. game that's meant to yeah. be... I mean, it's a side game, but it's still a persistent yeah. game that's meant to feed back into the main story. And these are kids. They're not killing each other. They're not backstabbing each other. Right. I didn't even want to get into that. But I like the concept of the mechanical aspect of it. So I came up with an idea called Scamp Dice. 
And scamp dice are when you play a joke or sort of sabotage or have some fun at someone's expense of one of the other players. So Dawn rolls and she rolls high enough and she gets narrative control. And so she starts saying what happens. That's that's what happens in this game is when you roll high enough, the players tell you what happens. Mm -hmm. When you roll low enough, you don't necessarily fail. The game master tells you what happened. And the example that he gives is like, Han Solo, when they're like, "How how's everything going down there? And it's like, uh, fine, fine, we're all fine. Uh, and then, <laughs> bam, he shoots it, and it, it was a boring conversation anyway. That's an example of them failing, the game master taking narrative control, having them succeed, but it all goes pear-shaped anyway. Right. So I think Dawn rolls. She she gains narrative control. Then the, the whole swaying, swinging thing, and, and Chris Katzai is about to, like, barf right on Dawn, and Dawn's like, no, no. Pat, who's a mother, yeah, he starts going. You know, he's. Down I was. The- I was down the hall. I just mm-hmm. gotten in, and I and so I heard this going on. He goes, "Oh, if she swings." Like Don's like, "No, no, you are not going to throw up on me." So I said, "Okay, Chad." Yeah. I start doing this. <laughs> and she heard it, and so she. And I don't think I, I rolled. Yeah, no, I, he rolled. just gave me. Oh no, I did. I roll. Yeah. So I had to make rolled. a roll. You roll. You rolled your uh, the con artist one. Oh, okay, to, to, con- yeah. to be convincing. Yes, so I made the roll, and I made it. Total narrative control. So I got the control, and so, yeah, so my control is that, yeah, <laughs> so Chris Cassidy, just, she just totally, she threw up all over Don's character. <laughs> I mean, it was just everywhere, and the beautiful part was, not only did she throw up all over Don. <laughs> I'm sorry, there's nothing in the world funnier to me than vomit. <laughs> I mean, just a little inside of the Brodor. I mean, vomit is the funniest thing you can do. Oh, my God, I love it. So, but the, the beautiful part is i rolled high enough i had full narrative control yeah so not only did the vomit go all over dawn it went all over the hinges on the door <laughs> thus oiling <laughs> thus lubricating uh, yes and alleviating our problem <laughs> yes. wow that's so and i got i got don puked on so yeah. and, and, and i got scammed i swore i did because dan's like or don's like here or don chad is like here you go he gave me a dice so yep. i got it it was, which is yeah. awesome because I like the idea too. Yeah. Because the scamp dice is is cool because it's the only that's the only kind of a die that you can get once you start playing the heist. Yeah, the everything else you've got your dice pulled that you did before you started, and that's it. It's a finite number you can't get anymore. Except you can do the scamp thing, so mm-hmm. you know kids can you know play hot foot on some, you know one of the other characters or have somebody barf on you, mm-hmm. you know, and you can get more dice that way. So yeah, yeah. So that's sort of the mechanic, like we're saying, where they are making this. They are making the the stuff, which seems counterintuitive, right? Because I want to explore very specific storylines that I am not able to control mechanically within the game. They're defining just about everything. I'm just giving them objectives, right? Mm -hmm. So because I do a lot of improv, ad-lib type stuff, a lot of the stuff that I want to explore is only hooks for me in the main game that I can start running with and coming up with ideas for. So they're not fully fleshed out. So what I'm doing is I'm taking these concepts that I want the answers to that I'm really curious about, and I'm ceding control over to them. When they are successful, they define it more. When they roll failures, which Wayne always does, (laughs) Then I then I can start injecting the nudges I need for it to go in the direction that I would like it to go. 
and they are creating characters for me. They are populating my world for me out of this game. And I cannot wait to have Chris Katzeye show up in the main game. I, I'm trying to figure out how to do it without it making seeming cheesy. But I'm going to let it go in the back burner because I want to find out what happens to her. I think you'd also have to be a little careful with that because even if the characters from an mm-hmm. in-character perspective yeah. don't know who she is, some of the players are going to have an, oh, that's her moment, right. whereas some well, that's, are not. That's and, the important thing is that and so I think it's, everybody needs to be on the same yeah. page. Well, and I, it's like anything else. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I was just watching Jessica Jones, right? And there's a scene in there where her friend suggests a costume to her, a mm-hmm. superhero costume. It's the one she wears in the comics, right? It's a nod to people that have read the mm-hmm. comics, or in my case, just did a Google image search. <laughs> but it's not necessary information to understand right. the story. Starcraft Two is another example. Wings of Liberty. It leads off with a guy who's getting let out of a prison and locked into a suit Mm -hmm. of the marine armor yeah there's all kind of side material Mm -hmm. like expanded universe type stuff that explains who this guy is and why he's in that prison that as someone who really doesn't care and just plays a video game i had no idea Mm -hmm. but it was never necessary information for me to follow i mean i got the gist of it He's a man who's being let out of prison. He's not a good person. He's locked into the armor. Yeah. He and Jim Rayner clearly have a somewhat strained relationship. Mm-hmm. I followed him, even sure. if I didn't know all the details. And I think you'd have to do the same thing of being careful not yeah. to make what they know out of character critical information to appreciating what's right. going on in the plot. Yeah. Because ultimately, a game is not for the characters. It's for the players. Mm-hmm. And if the players can't get that moment of enjoyment... Yeah then absolutely it doesn't matter even if in character they're all equally ignorant if as players they're not equally ignorant mm-hmm. you can't put the payoff there right well it's one of the things that i think is genius about them playing the eels mm-hmm. and playing kids because they're going to have these fun yeah almost slapsticky adventures that are going to help you populate your world however they're not going to do any heist that is so significant yeah. or so event changing in the world well, that that the players that aren't there are going to miss something significant. And about that, you know how I said in the Dresden Inspectors one, I had to lay some ground rules, like you know the characters never actually meet and that right. sort of thing. Well, you know they asked me in this one. I think Beth asked me, you know, could we have our characters in this? Not play them, but but will our characters show up? And I'm like, absolutely. If you want to put them in there, your characters don't necessarily know each other, but yeah, your characters can stroll in here if you want. I'm totally allowing that because of the time difference. In Dresden, it was about a setting contrast. In this one, it is about a time difference. It happened a year ago, so whatever occurs there doesn't really directly impact the game anyway. I mean, it does indirectly by changing history. If your character is in there in the past and sees something that affects them, then you can, retcon might be a dirty word to say, but you can add that into the tapestry of your character, which is just, 
you know, now you're going to start playing it off of that. Well, right. And how fun is it going yeah. to be for your players when you're doing your regular Blades in the Dark game and they encounter Chris Katzai, yeah. who has aged out of the eels mm-hmm. and maybe she still has the same eye or right. a different eye, you know, mm-hmm. and just how her character arc has changed yeah. in that time frame. But also gives you a chance to explore your own character if you bring your character mm-hmm. from the main campaign over. You know, when you write a well-developed character, there are going to be things that have already happened to them in their background Mm -hmm. that develop them to the point where they're at when the game begins. And now you get to go back and explore those events. You get to see, well, how did these things come about? That's exactly what I'm doing, only with a plot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and let's go to a game that I don't think we've really ever talked about, the game that Gnarl was in. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) it was in his it was in his backstory that through scouting the human lands, he developed a respect for human society, for its permanence, Mm -hmm. for its scope. And somewhere along the way during the invasion had picked up Pat's character as a quote unquote slave, whereas in truth, they were actually cutting a deal with each other. That we encounter humans. You're my prisoner. When we encounter Knowles, I'm your slave. Yeah, exactly. And that was always just backstory. Mm -hmm. If we had gone back in time and played a side game. Oh, wouldn't that have been awesome? To play the mistrust of the early games and and have them mm -hmm. grow into a friendship. Or, yeah, and even if we weren't playing Gnarl and Saren, if we were playing side characters, whether it was Knowles or town guards or whatever it is we were playing, to see those bits of progress and character development occurring which up to this point were only defined as bullet points in the character's mm-hmm. backstory. Now, you, you, something that you had mentioned isn't exactly true, is you said that, you know, hey, it's fun, they're playing kids, and they're not going to have this major impact on the overall plot. Actually, that's kind of my plan is to have okay. them do that. Because I, I have three arcs planned out. Say, to say that the strays missed stuff is not correct. They were doing a job. You know, it's like you're robbing a bank and there's guns and cops everywhere and everyone's shooting. And, you know, why one of the hostages has two different colored socks on is not really something you explore as a bank robber. Right. And that, that's kind of, you know, that, that that is what has happened here. Mm-hmm. It almost strikes me that you could get game ideas by giving out a bunch of note cards, a bunch of three mm-hmm. by fives and saying, I want you guys to write down questions you would love to hear answered <laughs> that can be as major as what is the secret of Morehouse right to as minor as why did this guy have mismatched socks mm-hmm. and then you make that the basis yeah. for an adventure are, are you kidding I think that's a great exercise just in general for a game just right. to touch base with my players in fact in my once a month D&D game I'm going to do that next session Nice. I'm just going to sit everybody down, you know, we'll do the recap, whatever, and I'm going to hand out the note cards yeah, and I mean, go from there. Because I think that that would be a really, really interesting exercise. So on the on the ground rules, though, on like not affecting major stuff, right. I, I asked my players to do two things for me in just this hard not story arc. A, do not kill James Waite, nihilistic Jeff Bridges, because the strays killed him. And that was their major victory. Don't change the the future. Yeah. Well, don't change (laughs) the future. And that was a major, major thing for the strays to do. That was a huge accomplishment. Don't have the children take that away from them. Mm. And don't change the future. Yeah. Then the number two thing is, is 
don't be so successful that the eels take over hard knot because in the future the eels got kicked out of hard knot and in the past you're coming right in when larry larry's trying to figure out why did the eels why did my eels get kicked out of this neighborhood that's basically why he collected the kid these players together to go investigate that i think as a role player sort of the objective is oh wait my faction my people they got kicked out of this place not on my watch and we're going to take it back kid style and it's like mm, don't do that and even though it's sort of the natural thing to do and i personally that was actually really hard for me to ask them to do that even though i think it's pretty reasonable and they and they were totally cool with it i i think it's a social compact that has to exist given the nature of what you're doing which is you cannot change the future right because we don't want to derail the canon Mm -hmm. of the primary campaign and so therefore the social compact has to be that look if you as players are in a position where you find what's his name james wait james james wait nihilistic jeff bridges yeah jeff bridges are you find jeff bridges (laughs) nihilistic jeff bridges in his bed asleep no he never gets in a bed okay no it's always in that fucking chair. Fine. It's in his chair. <laughs> his chair. Yeah. Passed out, and you've got a gun to his head. Mm-hmm. You can't pull the trigger. Right. You just have to, as a you character, have to figure out why yeah. you won't do that. Precisely. You can't change the future, yeah. nor can you matter so much that you degrade the significance of the primary. Because campaign. if you pull the trigger in the past and kill him, then I'm going to have to pull like some identical twin bullshit. And nobody wants that. Or, yeah, he's raised from the dead. Or yeah, and it just whatever. gets really cheesy. Now, so that agrees with what Brodor's saying, but in the second arc I have planned, I'm actually going against that. I am. I want the eels to have a major impact on the plot. And it's still going to take place in the past. So in the first arc, the question is, the overriding question of the whole thing is, why did Larry Larry want James Waithe dead? Why did he want him killed? Why was he very adamant about having him killed? I want them to answer that question. In the second arc, there is a war going on between two factions called the Red Sashes and the um, Crows and the Crows. And they are the two most powerful gangs in Crow's Foot, this area where they're operating out of. And the strays are kind of bubbling up from the bottom taking what they can and trying to drive a wedge through them. And in fact, they're pulling the Yojimbo plot. Mastermind Pat here has decided to ally with both sides, <laughs> unbeknownst to the other, and is going to start playing them off of each other. Because that's totally going to work in yeah. your favor. There's yeah. nothing to go wrong there. No. <laughs> so my question is, why did the Crows and the Red Sashes go to war with each other? How did the Eels cause that? And that's going to be the second arc is the eels somehow some way caused the split between the two gangs and caused the war and the reason i want to explore that is because i have three characters that i made one is the leader of the crows and she is she's that picture i showed you she is that vicious very effective leader that i can go for a long time talking about her because I just really sunk a lot into making this character. And then the two other characters, one was like the accountant second in command of the crows. And he went over to the red sashes and because 
the leader of the Red Sashes and him are secretly gay and they're secretly lovers because homosexuality is not accepted in their society. And there's this whole thing going on with that and this whole lot of stuff going on with this other character. Can't get the strays to explore that. And not that they resist it, but the plot just keeps moving away from exploring that. And it's me. It's my fault because I'm having them do all this other stuff. And I want to use the eels to explore how that split happened, how the war started, and why it's the Mm. eels' fault. How how did they do that? You know, every time you talk about the eels, I start wanting Unaju. (laughs) (laughs) You could probably get a lot of Unaju in Duskwall. We we uh, we do a lot of food jokes in our game. Yeah. A ton of food jokes. And uh, in this sort of apocalyptic world there's no farming there's no there's not a whole lot of animals and stuff so don't think about too much where all these people are getting all this food from no kidding uh you really have to hand wave that and ignore it but it's a coastal town it's a big harbor it's london right it's big huge docks and stuff so there's a lot of naval feel about it so everybody eats fish but it's the most disgusting fish you can imagine it is lamprey live lamprey sandwiches was one yeah <laughs> i love the look on dan's oh, face right now yes. live lamprey sand lampreys live lampreys between two slices of bread with lettuce and tomato they have to be alive though i mean they have to be. oh it's no good if it's not dead they're just sarah i'm not even sure how you would eat the front of a lamprey sarah very carefully and quickly s- oh is beth chew it fast do you, yeah, you gotta i don't it chew it oh, fast you gotta chew it fast man. yeah Beth, <laughs> Beth turned the corner and there was a guard and I described the guard as holding one of these lamprey sandwiches and she just basically was like, oh, shit. boop, and then booped his lamprey sandwich into his face. So he's got a and lamprey so all, like, hanging got off all his lamp- face. He's like, ah, and then yeah. she could punch him. Uh, the other classic delicacy of the Scovelandish of Duskwall yes. is the famous hagfish pie. I was about to say, if you want a really disgusting sea creature, hag you fish. need to go for a hagfish. What yes. the hell's a hagfish? They are things, They're basically made of snot. They eat corpses <laughs> and then tie themselves into a knot yep. and blow snot everywhere. Yep. Wow. <laughs> this, that is horrible. This is like a shepherd's pie. They are really disgusting. Only the only thing Jesus. that's inside of it is hagfish. Yeah, they are incredible. <laughs> when you said a disgusting fish, I was thinking just one that doesn't Tastes very good. No. Oh, no. Yeah, and I was not picturing that you were actually going for f- things that might, in fact, be really genuinely disgusting, or in oh, the case yeah. of a lamprey. Uh, dangerous. Oh, yeah. I mean, not dangerous. That's not going to kill you. But, well, it sure resulted in this guy's death. Well, I, I mean, mean, after Beth stabbed him a bunch of times. Well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, a lamprey latching onto you is not going to kill you. You'll be able to remove it, but it's not going to be pleasant either. No. It's. So yeah, that's uh, that's pretty nasty. There's a whole side plot involving Pat eating a hagfish pie at a whorehouse and getting really sick later on. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, they're they're disgusting. That, that that's horrible. I'm not sure what all that is, but that's <laughs> that's a lot going on that looks really so heinous. That remember might the be the most disturbing thing I've seen on your phone, which is challenging. Okay, so Chad, nice point. So anyway, yeah. Uh, so a lot of this is. In the player's hands, though, because of the rule. I'll use your favorite phrase. That's really the danger of this role-playing game. Yes. You know, people could die. They do. And <laughs> they, the themes that I want to explore might not get explored. They might tangent off and do other stuff. 
So, you know, if that happens, you just have to accept it. Do you know how many people here they find <laughs> dead on the ground uh, with a D&D straight through the head? Oh, my God. Which is surprising. That Well, no, I, I was going to say that book can stop a bullet, but that's not the one that can stop a bullet. No. That would be great. Have you seen the video? For GURPS, though? It's not GURPS, it's Champions. Oh, Champions, where they shot it and yeah, it did it, not stop a bullet. It, oh. No, it stopped. It, they shot with a couple bullets. It stopped some of them, but not oh, others. Okay. It did stop some of them. Yeah, 22. I suspect yeah. that book would stop it. No, I think it was. Uh, it would stop a 45, but not a 9mm, because a 45 is a heavier subsonic. Right, right. Oh, it's just going to expend its energy. Yeah. Right. I, I think. Right. I watched this video a while back, but they shot it with a few different bullets, and some bullets it stopped, some it wouldn't. But the point is, yes. if you are ever assaulted by an armed madman mm-hmm. in the middle of a role-playing game, yes. playing champions, as much damage <laughs> as it's done to you cardiovascularly up to that point, right. it might then and there save your life. I know at least one person at my table is armed. <laughs> <laughs> there was cutting back an episode, a couple episodes, and we had the guys from Happy Jacks on. They told this story that I'm not going to repeat because it's kind of really disturbing Mm. story. Go back, listen to that crossover if you want to hear it. It was about somebody doing something really, really terrible in the middle of an online game. Yeah. And I said. That's kind of the shtick of their podcast, right? It's, uh, like way, it's one of the things, but this oh. went way beyond what they normally did. It was wretched. It was really wretched. Truly, truly awful, awful human being behavior. But I made the comment in the episode that's one of the worst things I've ever heard. So some people in the forums asked, so what have you heard that's worse? Yeah. And one of the things I've heard that's worse was there was a game at the hobby shop out in Hampton back when that still existed. And a table dispute broke out and a guy actually did pull a 45. Real deal. This was, you know, not a prop gun, not airsoft, whatever. Pulled a real deal 45. It's like out of the Big Lebowski. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's like, really, you're going to do this? Yeah. And, I mean, fortunately, nothing came of it, but still, like, that's, right. you've got some seriously messed up priorities. But if they'd been playing champions. No, yeah. yeah. And everyone had just kind of ducked the table and put it over their vital organs, mm-hmm. they may have walked away. Maybe. Even if this guy had snapped. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, Chad, anything else on this game that we need to cover? So, this is John Wick's. Wilderness of Mirrors. Wilderness of Mirrors, and it was at least on sale for $2. Two-something, yeah. 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 You know, if John Wick listens, which I don't think he does, which is much to his detriment, mm-hmm. I would have two suggestions for you about Wilderness of Mirrors. One is take a look at that betrayal mechanic again. May, you, know, you don't need to get rid of it, but maybe just kind of you know, fiddle with it a bit. But two, if you're going to make a PDF, don't make whole pages solid black. And then don't put... <laughs> page-spanning artwork on there on every single page that is solid black. I was like, okay, I'll just pr- I'll just download this, and I'll print it out, and then I, I can hand it around to my players. We can see it. Nope, can't do it, because <laughs> it'll destroy my printer. Thanks, John Wick. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess if you're going to use it electronically. It doesn't really matter, but if you're going to attempt printer. to print it friendly version have a version with all your artwork and all your crap and all your things you think is important and then have another one where you just yeah mm-hmm. bleach out the color okay that's right well i guess we're gonna wrap this one up so hopefully next week we'll get to the skies of glass game mm-hmm. if not we'll get there eventually obviously we love this podcast just like we love gaming but real life has to come oh, first and wayne's got some crap he needs to deal with so 
we're going to give Wayne all the time he needs to sort that out, and we'll get to that later. So, anyways, thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2016. Listeners are free to use this show in any non-commercial endeavor as long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the Pulp Gamer Media Network of Shows. You can find other great shows in this network at pulpgamer.com.